Genesis chapter 35, 1. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. I'm going to get into my message, but I apologize. I meant to say that a group from our church is going to be singing on Thursday. Please be in prayer for them in the general Sunday school service. Genesis 35 and 1, the Lord tells Jacob, go back to Bethel. You may be seated. The main character of our story today is Jacob. He is one of the most significant characters in the Bible. He's the grandson of Abraham, who's the father of the faithful, the son of Isaac, the third of the patriarchs of the Jewish people. For generations, when God would speak to Israel, he would identify himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To Moses, the Lord said this, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Jacob is the man whose name was changed to Israel. And that's so significant that we have a nation in our world today called Israel that was named for the man I'm preaching about today, Jacob the Patriarch. The promises that God made to Abraham seem to get off to a really slow start. God says to Abraham, I'll give you a son, and not only will I give you a son, but your descendants are going to be so numerous, they'll be like the stars of the sky and the sands of the seashore for multitude, meaning you will not be able to count them. But Abraham has just one son. Now he has Ishmael, you know, kind of the guy, the baby that shouldn't have been born, but he has one son of promise. Then Isaac has two sons, and it seems like the stars of the sky and the sands of the seashore are really slow in coming. But in Jacob, this promise begins to gain some traction. Jacob has 12 sons. They will be the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. So Jacob's life is significant in many, many ways. The motive of my message today is to show you how your future is connected to your past. And on the path, on the path to the promises of God, often God will cause you to circle back to a place of commitment that is in your past. It is important for you to understand that what happened in your past has shaped your present. And what is happening to you now is shaping your future. And when there is unfinished business in your past, God will not allow you to move into your future until you have dealt with the unfinished business in your past. You have to return to your Bethel. You have to return to your past to right wrongs, to renew vows, to reconcile relationships, and in general, take care of unfinished business. you got to go back to Bethel. Jacob uh, is a twin. Jacob and Esau 
were not identical twins. They were fraternal twins. And to say that they were not identical is probably an understatement. Esau and Jacob are polar opposites. Before they're even born in their mother's womb, they are duking it out. They are struggling in the womb. And their mother, Rebecca, senses this prenatal conflict. And she asks God, what in the world is going on inside of me? I know it wasn't something I ate. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two manner of people shall be separated from you. One will be stronger than the other. And the older will serve the younger. Can you imagine the anxiety that this mom felt as these two babies struggled inside of her? And when the first is born, Esau, he is born with red complexion. He is born hairy all over like a garment, the Bible said in Genesis 25. And when Jacob is born just shortly after, he is born and his hand is hanging on to his brother's heel as Esau is born. Jacob follows soon after and he is the heel grabber from birth. He is saying, I'm second born, but I don't like it. And everything that belongs to you, I want it for me. He doesn't look like Esau. He's smooth complected. He must not be a hairy man. He might have been dark complected. We don't really know. But these boys are vastly different. Esau is a cunning Hunter, he grows up to be an outdoorsman. The Bible describes Jacob as a plain man dwelling in tents. Don't think wimp because we'll see later he's a pretty tough guy. But he was more of a homebody, some translations say. He wasn't given to going out and hunting and bringing home the game. But because Esau and Jacob are so very different, it's a perfect storm for sibling rivalry and parental favoritism. Two recipes for disaster in a family. When you make it known that you like Esau more than you like Jacob, you're creating problems in your family. When mama makes it known that she likes Jacob a lot more than she likes Esau, you got trouble brewing. Esau... Is out hunting one day, maybe for several days. He comes back empty-handed. He thinks he is going to starve to death. The New Testament calls Esau a profane man and a fornicator, a guy who is given to passion, lust, and emotions. When he comes home, he is so hungry, he thinks he is going to die. Conveniently, his brother Jacob has been cooking back at the home place. And over an open fire, no doubt, he has a bowl of lentil stew spiced up with red spices, and Esau can smell it before he sees it. When he comes up to his brother Jacob, he says, Jacob, I have got to have a bowl of soup. I think I'm going to die. And Jacob says, no problem, my dear brother. You are welcome to all the lentils that you want. But they're not free today. 
They come at a price. All I want for a bowl of beans, a lentil soup, is your birthright. I want the right that goes to the firstborn for a double portion and everything that comes with it. And Esau, in that moment, being a man of the moment and not a man that is far-sighted, a person like many people in our world that can't see past a paycheck, can't see past a week, can't see past an emotion, can't see past a feeling, can't see past a temptation. There's a lot of people that live like that. They're hedonistic. They live by a meistic philosophy of life, and they've got to have it now. And it always gets you into trouble. And Esau says, I'm going to die anyway. You're going to be the firstborn after I kick the bucket. So why not go ahead and sell the right of the firstborn? The most prized thing any man could have, why not sell it for a bowl of lentils? And he does. They make the deal. The beans are eaten, the lentils, and they sort of live happily ever after. Not really. Isaac, Daddy Isaac, is, is about to die. He thinks he's about to die. So he calls Esau the firstborn in. And he says, Esau, I want you to go out in the field. Before I die, I would like to have some venison from my oldest boy one more time. Esau goes out in the field and he's going to kill a deer, roast it, cook it, bring this savory meat back to his dad Isaac. And Isaac's going to bless his son Esau and die. And mom Rebecca hears this conversation and says to Jacob, your brother Esau has gone hunting and your dad's going to bless him with a blessing of the firstborn. The birthright is already gone, the blessing. Let's, let's conspire together to do this. Go get a young goat, bring him in, let me cook it. I believe we can fool your dad. He's pretty old, his olfactory senses may not be all that great. Maybe his taste buds aren't what they used to be. And so they go out and kill the goat and they cook it up. And mom Rebecca takes the skin of that hairy goat and puts it on. That's how hairy Esau was, by the way. Puts it on Jacob's hands, on the back of his neck. And Jacob, Jacob the second born, goes in before his dad and gives him this too. And, and Esau detects that something is wrong. You know, it's the... Yeah, come near me, my son. Let me just kind of touch you. Feels a hairy hands. Said those are the hands of Esau. But it is the voice of Jacob. Something's wrong with this picture. But come near my son and let me bless you. And Isaac, excuse me, yeah, Isaac blesses Jacob with the blessing of the firstborn. And soon after the deed is done, Esau comes in from the field. He has his deer. He has it cooked. He walks into his dad. And his mind is thinking, wow, this is really a miracle. How quick this has taken place. And his father says, who are you? I am Esau, your firstborn son. I have come in to, to give you the deer and to get blessed. And Isaac says, oh no. Oh no. And Esau knows it is Jacob. Is he not rightly named the supplanter? The heel grabber. 
the guy that is always swindling me out of everything that was promised me. Esau is angry. He burns with rage. He vows to kill his brother Jacob as soon as his father dies. Mother Rebecca knows about this and says, Jacob, I have an idea. It might be a great idea for you to get out of town. She goes to Isaac and says, you know, our son Jacob shouldn't really marry one of the pagan women around here. Let's send him back to my brother Laban's house and let him marry one of the women of that land. So that's a good idea to Isaac, Father Isaac. And Rebekah is kind of cooking this up again. And Jacob is pretty sure that a soup spoon is no match for a sword. So he decides that's a great idea too. And Isaac and Rebekah send Jacob away with the birthright and the blessing of the firstborn. His father Isaac blesses him. He knows that this is of God. Rebekah knows this from the beginning. That the younger, the older shall serve the younger. One will be stronger than the other. When Isaac sends him away, he says, God Almighty bless you. Make you fruitful. Multiply you. That you be a multitude of people. God give you the blessing of your father Abraham. And wherever you're a stranger, whatever God promised Abraham, let it be to you. And Jacob leaves Beersheba where they live. And he is headed toward Haran where Uncle Laban lives. He goes that day until he runs out of daylight and he makes his camp in the open field. There are stones there. He sets them around for a bed and for a pillow. And Jacob falls asleep, dead asleep, exhausted from whatever day's journey he has taken. During the night, he has a spiritual dream. Jacob sees a ladder that goes from earth all the way to heaven. There are angels ascending and descending on the ladder. And God speaks to Jacob in the dream, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, the God of Isaac. The land where you are lying, I will give it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and will spread abroad to the west, the east, the north, and the south. Your seed, in your seed, and a descendant of yours, every nation of the earth will be blessed. This is a prophecy of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, that through the loins of Jacob will come the one that will bless every family in the earth. The Lord said, I am with you. I will keep you. I will bring you again to this land. I will not leave you until I have done everything I have spoken to you. Jacob has issues. He's a shrewd supplanter. He comes from a flawed family, but he has found favor with God. He has a promised future. He is a blessed man in every way. And Jacob now makes a vow. God makes promises. Jacob makes a vow. He says to the Lord, surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. He was afraid. He said, this is none other than the house of God and the gate of heaven. He took the stones that had been his pillow and made them a pillar. He set them up. He poured oil on top of it. The first time a consecration of this type has been done in the Bible. He names the name of this place Bethel, which means the house of God. 
This is the house of God. And he said, this is the gate of heaven. And he vows a vow to God. He said, if you'll be with me and keep me in all the way that I go, then I will give, if you'll give me bread to eat and clothes to wear so that I can come again to my father's house in peace. He said, I want you to know that the stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And I will tithe all of the increase that you give me. He makes a commitment to be a tither. And names this place, of course, Bethel, the house of God. Now Jacob thinks that he has just kind of randomly stumbled across the place that God lives. What he doesn't know is wherever you encounter God, that is the house of God. Amen. Now I want you to understand something about this story so far. That God never forgets. The promises that he makes to you, he never forgets the promises that he makes to you. <clears throat> but neither does God ever forget the commitments that you make to him. The vows, the promises, the things that you told God when he gave you promises, he never forgets. And remember the motive of this message. That the path to the future often circles back and runs through the promises of the past. Sometimes you have to go back to your past in order to go to your future. After this spiritual experience, strengthened by the promises of God, Jacob takes his journey. He will now embark on a 20-year sabbatical from his homeland and a journey through which God would work in his life. It will be 20 years filled with blessing, balanced by disappointment. 20 years. He goes to his uncle Laban's house. And when the supplanter, Jacob, gets there, when the heel grabber gets there, when the deceiver, Jacob, gets there, he runs into Uncle Laban, and he has met his match. Oh. Nephew Jacob, so good to have you here. What a future we have together. Jacob immediately falls in love with his beautiful distant cousin, Rachel. And he says to Uncle Laban, I want to marry your daughter. Laban says, no problem, you can have her in seven years. All you've got to do is work for me, no pay. In seven years, I will give you beautiful Rachel to marry. And Jacob worked seven years for her. And the Bible says that those seven years were but a few days for the love that Jacob had in his heart for Rachel. The day of the wedding, she was beautifully dressed and covered in a veil. And it must have been nighttime. For in the morning light, when Jacob looked at his beautiful bride, his father-in-law Laban had baited and switched on him. And the Bible said he looked and it was Leah. It was the older sister Leah. He had been ripped off by Laban. He went to his father-in-law. You've deceived me. What have you done? I served you for Rachel. Oh, didn't I tell you? 
in our land, we have a custom. We never let the second born daughter get married first. Welcome to my world, son. Leah's your wife. Now, there was no stand against polygamy. They did not have a Bible. He says, you know, I want Rachel. And Laban says, no problem. You can have Rachel. All you've got to do is work for me seven more years. Now, according to the Bible, he gets Rachel sooner than that. But he has to work for his father-in-law seven more years. And in seven more years, 14 total, he has prospered. And over the time that Jacob is with Laban, in the middle of being swindled and beat out of everything Laban can take him for, he is blessed with flocks and herds and possessions. Genesis 30 tells us he increases exceedingly. And after 20 long and happy years, Jacob says to Laban, I want to go home. It is time for me to go home. Send me away that I can go to my own place and to my own country. And he says to his wife later, your father has deceived me, changed my wages ten times. If it wasn't for God, I'd be dead broke. Something like that. And then God speaks to Jacob. Genesis 31, the angel of the Lord comes to him in a dream. Jacob says, here I am. And the Lord says, lift up your eyes and see. And he sees in a dream a vision of the blessing. And the Lord says to him, I am the God of Bethel. I am the God where you anointed a pillar and vowed a vow. Remember I told you that God never forgets a promise that he makes to you. But he never forgets a promise you make to him. 20 years later, God says to Jacob, I haven't forgotten what I told you, but Jacob, I've not forgotten what you told me. You set up a pillar as a memorial. You vowed a vow to me. You said if I'd bring you back that you would live your life for me. Now arise and get up from this land and return to the land of your kindred. So Jacob now begins the process of getting back home. There's a story behind all of this with Laban and Rachel and idols and the departure and sneaking off and Laban catching up and all of that. And he finally gets away from Laban's house. He's got to go back home, but, but he has a memory of Esau. Esau, 20 years has gone by. I have a real good feeling, Jacob thinks, that Esau's forgotten. So he sends a memo by some of his servants, messengers, to Esau, and he says to Esau, I've been gone for 20 years, I've sojourned with Laban, and I'm getting ready to come back home, and I've got all kinds of livestock, and men servants, and women servants, and I've got wives, and concubines, and kids, 12 kids, 11 kids, and he said, you know, I pray that my Lord, that I might find grace in your sight. Well, he sends this message to Esau, says, I'm coming home, and I just want to check things out with you to make sure that everything's cool with us. You know, some people just think if you wait long enough, things will go away. You know, you've got wrongs, but if you just wait a while, they'll forget. And, you know, they haven't forgiven. There's been no restoration or reconciliation. But you think time can heal wounds, but time doesn't heal unresolved relationships. doesn't heal conflict. That takes repentance and restoration. And so Esau sends back this memo. I'm on my way and I've got 400 men with me. And it is not to have a party. 
and it is not to bless Jacob. He is coming, and he has not forgotten a vow he made 20 years ago that I will kill my brother Jacob. Now the Bible says, and this may be one of those understatements in the Bible, that Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. 20 years, all this for nothing? All the blessing, all the promises, everything I've told God, and now 20 years later, I've got to go face my brother Esau. He's going to wipe me out and everything I've gained over 20 years. Is this how this is going to end? He divided his family into two groups. He sent presents to Esau. He's trying to buy his way out. The swindler is trying to swindle his way back into the good graces of his brother Esau. But it doesn't work that way. You know, Jacob's thinking, all I want to do is get back to Bethel where God made promises to me and I made commitments to him. I just want to get back there and if I can get back there, everything will be fine. I want to get back to the house of God, that gate of heaven. But God says, you know what, I've got a great future for you, but you've got some unfinished business in your past. There's got to be some relationships healed. There have to be some cleansing that goes on in your life. And there are several things that go on in this story. But primarily two things happen before Jacob gets back to Bethel. Jacob gets his family. He goes to a brook. He sends them to the other side, this place called Jabbok that he will name Peniel. Jacob is left alone. He doesn't have maidservants, men servants. He doesn't have flocks and herds. He doesn't have wives. It's just Jacob alone at this brook Jabbok, just like Jacob was alone at Bethel. There is a, a person, an angel, a theophany, some presence, a man that comes to Jacob and engages him in hand-to-hand -hand combat. And Jacob wrestles with him. He is wrestling with the presence of God, with a, a man sent from God. There's mystery who this really was, but all night long. That's why I say, don't think that Jacob is a wimpy guy. They wrestle and tussle, and in the middle of this, the day is breaking, and the angelic being needs to go, and he says, let me go. And Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. I was born a heel grabber. I was born hanging on. I'm born. I'm right now hanging on in the fight. This being smites Jacob with a karate chop or something in his thigh. It goes out of joint for the rest of his life. He will halt upon his thigh. He will limp. And as a memorial to that, the Jewish people will not eat that piece of meat that came because they knew how important this wrestling match was to their future. I will not let you go until you bless me. What is your name? My name is Jacob. Your name will no more be Jacob, but your name will be Israel. Because as a prince, you have power with God and power with men, and you have prevailed. Something has happened here to take care of the unfinished business of the past. Your supplanting nature, your deceptive nature, you can't just cover it up. You've got to go back and wrestle your flesh to the crown. There has to be a touch of God that changes you from Jacob, the supplanter, to Israel, the prince with God.
There are people in this building today that have promises on their life. Things that God has said that he will do for you. But there is unfinished business. You cannot go to your future until you go to your past. You've got to go back to Bethel. But before you get there, there are some issues that have to be resolved. As the sun is coming up, Jacob muddied, maybe bloodied, probably bruised, disheveled. He gets up and he limps toward Esau and 400 bloodthirsty men. He doesn't look strong, powerful, cool, or deceptive, but he is not a beaten man. He is a broken man, but he is not a beaten man. Esau, who has come to kill him, somehow, when Jacob got right with God, God stirred the heart of Esau from hardness to healing. Esau runs to Jacob. He embraces him. They greet one another and they weep on each other's shoulders because there is a reconciliation that takes place. And God has you stopped in a place of healing before you can go to the future that he has for you. I know that you cannot force the healing of every relationship. You cannot change the heart of Esau. You can only change your own heart. But the miracle that took place that early morning started in a prayer meeting, if you will. Started in a wrestling match with Jacob and God. And the healings that you need in your family. In your, with your brothers and your sisters has to take place when you look at the man or the woman in the mirror and get thoroughly right with God. You cannot change them, but you can change yourself. What a moment. 20 years of hatred inside of Esau. I'm sure he thought of the many ways he was going to kill his brother how it was going to happen, how he would torture him and make him pay for the birthright and the blessing. But can you imagine that not through negotiation, not through manipulation, but through a prayer meeting, through an encounter with God, Jacob makes peace with his brother. Brings us to Genesis 31, our text. Now God says to Jacob, arise and go to Bethel. And dwell there, make thee an altar to God that appeared to thee when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. It's interesting that this is the only place where God tells one of the patriarchs to build an altar. He says, Jacob, you go build an altar. And he reminds Jacob of the condition he was in when he went to Bethel the first time. He said, remember when you went there? You were running 
from the face of your brother Esau. You were desperate. You were afraid. You needed an experience with God. You know, it's amazing how we come to God addicted, abused, broken by sin, lives in a mess, desperate for God. And at Bethel, when you first encounter God at repentance, when you first encounter God begging Him to forgive you, begging Him to heal you, begging Him to get things right in your life. You don't care what you have to say, what you have to do, what you have to promise. There's nothing left under the table. You put it all on the table. And God says, I want you to go back to the place where you desperately needed me in your life. You were on the run. You didn't care what you had to give up. You didn't care what you had to do. Jacob didn't bargain with God at Bethel. He needed God. He was going to be a dead man. But I'm amazed at people who leave a place of desperation and they kind of pick up some of the stuff that they had when they left that place of promise to God. But remember, God never forgets the promises that he makes to you, but he never forgets the vows that you made to him. You promised him. You vowed to him. You committed to him. And he's holding you to your word. Go back to Bethel, make an altar. And I appeared to you there when you fled from the face of your brother Esau. When you needed a God and you didn't care what it cost you to have him in your life. Jacob looks around at his family. They've never been to Bethel. They've never been to Beersheba. They've never been back to that place that God had promised them. They were over in Haran. So now Jacob looks at his family and he goes, You know what? I can't take this crew back to Bethel. Jacob said, I know it's time to go back. But he says to his household, We've got some house cleaning to do here. Put away the strange gods that are among you. And be clean. And change your garments. And let us arise and go up to Bethel. And I will make an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and was in me in the way that I went. Genesis 35, 4. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand and their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them. He buried them. The Hebrew would say under the oak which was by Shechem. And the Bible said that when Jacob made that commitment, that God put the fear of him upon all the nations. And as they traveled back to Bethel, nobody troubled them but gave them safe passage so he and his family, his wives and children and flocks and little ones could get back to that place of Bethel again, 20 years. All the pagan gods, all the ungodly jewelry. Change your garments. You know, what you're wearing looks pretty good. But before we go to a place of worship, we've got to take some stuff off. And we've got to put some new things on. If we're going to get back to Bethel, we've got to change our garments. 
going back to Bethel required reconciliation and it required cleansing before they could get back to that place. Jacob goes back and he calls it not just Bethel, but El Bethel or the strong God of the house of God or the house of the strong God. And then God speaks to Jacob after he has reconciled to his brother, after he has cleansed his house of idols and jewelry and changed their garments and they've cleaned their act up. Now he says we can go to the house of God and appear before the strong God of the house of God. Because we're now, we've made reconciliation and we've cleansed ourselves and we've changed our garments. And God appeared to Jacob and he blessed him. And he said, your name is for now on, Jacob, I'm kind of finalizing this. You're no more Jacob. You've come full circle. Your name will be Israel. He said, I am the God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee. Kings will come out of your loins. I'll give the land that I promised to Isaac and Abraham and to all your descendants after you. And God, the Bible said that God went up from the place where he talked to him. If you study this, you will, you will see that it appears that God Almighty came down literally and spoke to Jacob when he came back to Bethel. Jacob set up a pillar. He poured a drink offering and he poured oil on it. And he named the place where God spoke to him Bethel. He names it again. I mean, we've seen Bethel several times in this story today. But once again, he named this place Bethel. The Lord has blessed this church. And I believe that we are a local church of destiny, just as his universal church is a church of destiny. And God has given us a lot of blessings in the last 20 years. He's been a blessing to me the 20 years that I've served as pastor. But I want to say today that I feel in my spirit the Lord spoke this message to me two weeks ago. That it is time for us to go back to Bethel. I know it's been 20 years and it's been a great ride. We haven't been living on the lamb. We haven't been running from anybody. But we've been 20 years doing the work of God. But I felt in my spirit that God was calling this church, Atlanta West Pentecostal Church. Most of you weren't there in 1995. Most of us were not there in 1961 at our founding. But I believe as God is, God is calling us back to a place of encounter with God. To a place of consecration and cleansing. Because you cannot march confidently into your future until you deal with the unfinished business of your past. If you've harbored bitterness, if you've got an unforgiving spirit, in the past 20 years, if you've picked up some stuff, it just doesn't compute to the consecration of Bethel. And today you need to do what Jacob's family did, getting rid of all the idols you picked up. Removing all the stuff from your life. The ornaments that you've collected. The false gods that you've accrued. 
You need to change your garments and put on something holy so that you can know El Bethel, the God, the house of the strong God. Would you bow your heads right now? Lord, in your name, I pray, oh God, right now, that you would remind some people in this room of early altars in their life. Maybe long before Atlanta West. Maybe as a child. Maybe at a youth camp. At a youth congress. At a revival. Maybe in a place of private devotion. Where they met with you at their Bethel. And you made promises to them. You planted a dream in their heart. And they made promises to you. Along the way, Lord, the passing of time has not changed your word. For you have not forgotten the promises you made to us. Nor the promises we made to you. I ask you, God, to bring us full circle back to Bethel. And on our way there, God, an encounter with you for reconciliation, a cleansing of consecration, so that we can move to our future by walking to our past. Would you talk to the Lord now? Take care of some business with Him right now. I believe the Lord is reminding you of some things that He said to you and of things you said to Him at a place of consecration. And now today, we're going back, back, back to Bethel. In a moment when we stand, I'm inviting everyone who is able to come to the altar to pray. I'd encourage you to not slip out until you've moved down here. If you cannot get to the front, some of you are unable to come or uncomfortable coming. But where you are, make it a place of consecration. Make it a place of cleansing. Make it a place of reconciliation because the path of your future leads back to the unfinished business of your past. Would you stand and would you join me at this altar right now?